You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Over the past decade, a combination of diverse forces has created a significant increase in the global supply of saving, a global saving glut, which helps to explain both the increase in the US current account deficit and the relatively low level of long-term real interest rates in the world today. These were the celebrated words of Ben Bernanke, now chairman of the Federal Reserve. Has the Federal Reserve been a serial bubble blower? Or has it been responding to exceptional macroeconomic conditions? Not surprisingly, the implication of Ben Bernanke's celebrated speech on the global savings glut implies the second view. Yet his self-exculpatory perspective is far from universally shared. So who is right? My answer is both. The Fed can indeed be accused of being a serial bubble blower, but this is not because it has been managed by incompetence. It is because it has been managed by competent people responding to exceptional circumstances. The savings glut is a palpable reality, but it is important to be precise about what it means. What one means by a global savings glut is an excess of savings over investment or income over spending in much of the world, largely offset by an excess of investment over savings or spending over income in a limited number of countries, among which the US is predominant. In 2006, the current account surpluses or excess of savings over investment in the countries with surpluses was about $1,300 billion dollars or a sixth of the gross savings of the world, excluding the U.S. The U.S. current account deficit absorbed close to two-thirds of this surplus. The U.S. has been the world's spender and borrower of last resort. Since global long-term real interest rates have been modest, the argument that profligate U.S. spending has been crowding out spending elsewhere is simply not credible. It is far more plausible that excess savings elsewhere have been crowding in U.S. spending. How, then, has this worked? Foreigners have been buying U.S. assets on a vast scale. Between the first quarter of 2002 and the first quarter of 2007, foreign governments did supply as much as 48% of the net financing of the U.S. current account deficit. This should be viewed as vendor finance, intended to provide the U.S. with money needed to buy the exports from countries providing the capital. To this extent, therefore, the U.S. current account deficit has indeed driven the capital inflow. But the U.S. is still receiving a capital inflow that finances its vast current account deficit. If foreigners are net providers of funds, some groups in the U.S. must be net users. They must be spending more than their incomes and financing the difference by selling financial claims to others. The challenge for U.S. policymakers is to ensure that these groups also spend enough to absorb the economy's potential output. This required spending is in excess of potential gross domestic product by the size of the current account deficit or capital inflow. At its peak, that difference was close to 7% of U.S. GDP, More recently, it has come down to 5% as the dollar has tumbled, but also as the economy has slowed. Who did the offsetting spending since the stock market bubble burst in 2000? The short-term answer was the U.S. government. The longer-term one was U.S. households. 
The U.S. government moved massively from financial surplus into deficit, the total swing being 7% of GDP between the first quarter of 2000 and the third quarter of 2003. It is right to criticize the structure of the Bush tax cuts. Yet once the stock market bubble burst, how could a deep recession have been avoided without a fiscal boost? Now look at U.S. households. They moved ever further into financial deficit, defined as household savings, less residential investment. Household spending grew considerably faster than incomes from the early 1990s to 2006. By then, households ran an aggregate financial deficit of close to 4% of GDP. Nothing comparable had happened since the Second World War, if ever. Indeed, on average, households have run small financial surpluses over the past six decades. The recent household deficit more than offset the persistent financial surplus in the business sector. For a period of six years, the longest since the Second World War, U.S. business invested less than its retained earnings. Businesses had become net sources, not users, of finance. One way of thinking of the private equity boom is as a tax-efficient way of extracting cash apparently no longer needed by U.S. and indeed other countries' businesses. What has all this meant for policy? The answer is simple. The Fed has, willy-nilly, pursued a monetary policy capable of inducing a huge and unprecedented financial deficit among U.S. households. This has, not coincidentally, also meant a rapid rise in household indebtedness. The vehicle through which this policy has worked has been asset-backed borrowing and lending, the activity that has so spectacularly derailed this year. To put the point more broadly, monetary policy normally works via asset markets. In the latest cycle, the most affected sector has been households, the vehicle asset market has been housing, and transmission has been via securitized lending. Nothing that has happened has been a product of Fed folly alone. Its monetary policy may have been loose too long. The regulators may also have been asleep. But neither point is the heart of the matter. Assume that the U.S. remains a huge net importer of capital. Assume, too, that U.S. business sees no reason to invest more than its retained profits. Assume, finally, that the government pursues a modestly prudent fiscal policy. Then U.S. households must spend more than their incomes. If they fail to do so, the economy will plunge into recession unless something else changes elsewhere. This is why the Fed is sure to cut interest rates if today's crisis seems likely to reduce the supply of credit, as surely it will. Would that work, or might the Fed find itself pushing on a string, as the Bank of Japan did so painfully in the 1990s and early 2000s? A good guess is the policy would work, but if it did not, there will be only two ways out either a huge fiscal expansion in the U.S. or a huge reduction in the U.S. current account deficit. The former looks undesirable and the latter inconceivable. Today's credit crisis, then, is far more than a symptom of a defective financial system. It is also a symptom of an unbalanced global economy. The world economy may no longer be able to depend on the willingness of U.S. households to spend more than they earn. Who will take their place? Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.